Hello, Convention of State podcast listeners. Normally, we reserve this channel for audio versions of our live broadcast, COS Live and the Battle Cry with Mark Meckler. But as a bonus, we like to occasionally release some historic legacy audio for your enjoyment. Today's episode features a 2015 speech by Mark Meckler, the president and co-founder of the Convention of States project. Meckler encourages a room full of state legislators to use Article 5 to rein in the power of Washington, D.C. Now I have the honor to introduce to you Mark Meckler. Mark is the president of Citizens for Self-Governance, which is, of course, the umbrella organization for the Convention of States project. Mark is the co-founder of Tea Party Patriots and is really one of the nation's most effective grassroots activists. He appears regularly on a wide variety of television outlets and writes regularly on Breitbart, The American Spectator, and of course, selfgovern.com. He's also an attorney who specializes in internet privacy law. And frankly, I just have to tell you that Mark is really one of the most inspiring people I know. So we're blessed to have him here today. Mark. Thank you. I can't imagine a more difficult act to follow. Thanks, Ken. Really. It's, it's always inspiring to me to be at ALEC. Um, ALEC has taught me a lot. I have a new perspective on state legislators, state legislatures over the last couple of years. I've traveled around the country. I've been in 18 states since the beginning of the year, most of them in state legislatures. And when I travel around the country, what I see in state legislatures, are, I think what I see is a reflection of what the founders expected this country to be. In the first couple of years of the Tea Party movement, I spent a lot of time in Washington, D.C., uh, not very fruitful time, really frustrating time. I came to feel every time I went to Washington, D.C., like that city didn't belong to me and I didn't belong to that city. I know that's not how we should feel. We should feel like that's our city, but I don't feel like that when I'm there. Probably most of you have been there and had the same kind of experience. It's, it's an extraordinary kind of out-of-body experience to go to D.C., totally disconnected from the rest of the nation, from the problems that regular people face, all high-rises going up all over the place, all the construction cranes that are missing from maybe your communities and my community or in Washington, D.C., the restaurants are full. You can buy $75 hamburgers for lunch. Lamborghini of North America has its headquarters there in Washington, D.C. Their only complaint, too many folks who want to pay cash because they make money off financing. That's Washington, D.C. And then I travel around to state legislatures, and I meet with folks like you all over the country, folks like Representative Ivory and many of you that I know from, from our time in legislatures together, and I see the America that the founders envisioned. I see citizen legislators. I see people who ran for office, and I hear this story over and over, I always ask people, why'd you run? And everybody says some version of, somebody had to. I don't know exactly why, but I felt like I had to do something. I had an obligation. And I meet people who are farmers and ranchers, doctors, lawyers, service station owners, you name it, and they're citizen legislators all over the country. This is what the founders intended. You guys are literally the living vision of what the founders intended governance to be in America. You guys are the example of what self-governance is supposed to be. It's supposed to be close to the people. It's supposed to be of the people. And it's supposed to be fundamentally about service. And when we founded Citizens for Self-Governance, we founded ourselves not just as a nonprofit, not with just a mission, but with a service orientation. We're a service organization. That's what the Convention of States project is. It's a service project. 
Do we want to get to convention? Of course. Do we want to get amendments proposed and ratified? Of course. But our job is simply to be a service bureau. We serve each other as employees and associates in the organization. We serve the grassroots. That's our job, to elevate the grassroots, give them tools to help you guys when you're out there fighting for convention of states. And of course, and really importantly, we serve you as state legislators. Ken talked about your job is difficult. You know, I didn't have much respect for politicians before I got involved in this, and now I see what you guys do, and I have immense respect for people who hold office. Running for office, uh, the abuse that you guys take, the hours that you work when you're in session, it's pretty thankless. And I'm amazed that folks have the spine to do it, and I salute you guys for doing it. I don't have what it takes to run for office. It's an extraordinary high bar. It's a difficult pack that you put on that you're willing to hike that peak and, and climb those mountains. So we really appreciate that. And our job as Convention of States is to serve you as legislators as you go out and promote the Convention of States resolution. One of the things that we've heard over and over is, what will the rules be? We need to know what the rules are. People are scared. They don't know what will happen in convention. What will the rules be? And for a while, we as an organization sat back and just said, well, you know, there are people who are talking about the rules, so let's just let it unfold. You know, it's not necessarily for us to draft the rules. It's up to the legislators to draft the rules. And, and there were talk and meetings, and it kind of bubbled up and around that there were rules that were going to come. And here we are, I mean, probably 18 months or more after I first heard that talk, and there aren't rules. And I still hear the same question in every legislature I go to. What are the rules? What are the rules going to be? We have an incredible living resource in Rob Nadelson. I would argue the premier Article 5 scholar in the nation who understands the rules, who's done the research, who's done the homework. That's why we commissioned Rob to write these rules based on history. What's happened? What's the precedent in America for conventions? And so that's where these rules come from. They come out of precedent. And then they come out of familiarity because they come from you, what you guys, most of you, 75% roughly of legislators relying on Mason's rules. And so they should seem familiar. They should seem like home to you as far as parliamentary procedure, generally speaking. We created those rules because you asked for those rules. And we understand they're not our rules. They have to be your rules. And so what we've created is simply a draft. We're not attached to them. This is just a starting document from which you can work. And these rules won't work unless you work them. This is up to you. This is your project that we created as a service to you. That website at coscaucus.com, that's for you. It's not for us. As an organization, we don't get anything out of the rules. You guys, it's for you. It's a chance for you guys to communicate. Why now? And why are we doing this now? We're doing it now because I keep hearing it over and over that we need the rules right now. This movement has a long history. Now, I look out in this room and I see heroes of the Article 5 movement. I see Lou Euler there and back who's been fighting the fight for a long time. I saw Dave Bidolf come in here. Scott Rogers is in here. These are folks that have been fighting in this movement for a, lo a lot longer than I've even known the words Article 5. All of us, whatever part of this movement you're in, owe oh, thanks to them. This is a lesson I learned in the Tea Party movement. A lot of Tea Partiers around this country, they got involved in the Tea Party movement, and somehow they thought they were the first conservatives ever to rise in America. <laughs> some of you legislators have probably met some of those folks, right? We all stand on the shoulders of giants, people who've come before us that have done great things. And frankly, those of us who come later, our job is easier. It's much harder to be a pioneer. It's much harder for those first folks across the plains in the wagons that cut those first ruts across the plains. Those that come after, there's a path in front of us. The pitfalls are pointed out to us by those who have come before. So our job is made easier 
by the giants who came before us. And I salute you, those of you who are in the room. Like I said, Dave back there, Lou back there. I'm sure there are more of you in the room. I should think I appreciate you for the work that you've done. But I also think that we've come to a pivotal moment in history when the Article 5 movement has changed fundamentally. Anybody pay attention to recent Supreme Court decisions? Has that changed America fundamentally, do you think? Has it changed your view of what we can expect from the federal government? The presidency is completely out of control, and not just under Barack Obama, but we are governed by an executive who legislates via executive orders in the most unconstitutional fashion imaginable, unchecked by either Congress or the Supreme Court. We now have a Supreme Court that makes law openly, states that it's making law, rewrites statutes in a way that Congress never intended and is legislating directly from the bench for all of us in a way that is blatantly unconstitutional. And who is there to protect us and to rule those things unconstitutional when five Supreme Court justices behave so unconstitutionally? The answer is us, you. The founders gave you the answer. The founders wrote a note to you personally as state legislatures, state legislators individually in Article 5, and the note said the time is going to come when the federal government exceeds its bounds. The time is going to come when the judiciary will no longer follow the Constitution, when the president doesn't follow the Constitution, and when we have a Congress that does not have the spine to enforce its will or the will of the American people. Have we arrived at that moment today? Yes. We have. I'm a big fan of balanced budget amendment. We need to balance our budget in this country. Every family is required to do it. Many states are required to do it. We got to get it done. But it's not enough. It's not enough. Our religious liberties have just been trashed by the United States Supreme Court in the most blatant fashion. And we can pass a balanced budget amendment and your religious liberties are still in the ash bin of history. We can fight our way to convention. We can get 34 states. We can propose the amendment. We can spend the millions of dollars and the billions of man hours it will take to get to ratification. And the federal regulatory behemoth will still control your life. The federal regulatory state will still tell you, as a state legislator, what you can and cannot do. The Department of Education will still tell you how to educate your children. And meanwhile, we can pat ourselves on the back and congratulate ourselves because we passed a balanced budget amendment. Again, I am not bashing the balanced budget amendment. We need a balanced budget amendment, absolutely no doubt. But we've got bigger problems in this country than a budget deficit. We've got bigger problems in this country than just debt. We've got to deal with those things, but there are much bigger problems. There are fundamental structural problems affecting the longevity and the survivability of the United States of America as a continuing republic. Am I right? You have a historic role to play. You've been given a solemn responsibility by the founders. A note to you, the state legislators, the lawmakers that I have more respect for than anybody in this country, you were given this task. And the founders asked you to stand. They asked you to be the last line of defense for liberty. They knew this was extreme, but they also knew you'd have to use it. They knew the time would come for this tool, 
this Article 5 tool. They knew the time would come when you would have to reach deep into that rusty toolbox and push aside all the other tools. And at the bottom of that toolbox, dark in the corner was Article 5, and they knew you would be required to take it out, and they knew that it would take heroes like you to do it. And you know what? They had faith that you would be here when the time came. One of the most offensive things I hear as I travel around the country from some of your fellow legislators, the folks who are scared and who vote against this, they say, you know, Mark, there are no Madisons, Adams, Washington, Jefferson. Those kinds of people don't exist in America anymore. That is unbelievably outrageous to me. I'm sitting on stage with some of those people. Some of you are in the audience. I meet legislators all around the country that the founders would be proud to sit at a table with would be proud to call their compatriots. We'd be proud to know that you follow in their footsteps. Adams, Madison, Jefferson, Washington, Patrick Henry. I meet them all over the country. I spend the majority of time on the road. I don't like being on the road. I hate being away from my family. I have a 19-year-old son just left for the Marines. In fact, Patty and I were at this hotel just a few months ago. He graduated from boot camp right here at uh, MCRD. And I hate being away from them. I have a 16-year-old daughter. She's a national-level debater away at debate camp right now. I hate leaving my wife at home when I travel. Every time I leave the house, I'm miserable. Leaving from the West Coast, it's, uh, I usually leave at 4 in the morning. I leave from my house. It's dark, and I just feel terrible. I feel this darkness inside that I'm leaving my family at home. I'm just really a homebody. And I get out on the road, and every time I come home and Patty asks me, how was the trip, I say, unbelievable. Extraordinary. You can't believe who I met. I was in Illinois, I was in Ohio, I was in Indiana, I was in New York, I was in San Francisco, I met a great patriot. Every time I go on the road, every place I go, I meet great patriots who are doing great things for this country. Some of them in the legislature, some of them your supporters, maybe some of them your critics, but they're out there all over this country and they're in love with this country. They're in love with this great republic and they're willing to fight for it, but they expect that you will play your role and lead the way. And by leading the way, I mean taking the only solution that's as big as the problem, that is the Convention of States. Convention of States, if you want term limits on Congress, if you want term limits on Supreme Court, only Convention of States give you that. If you want fiscal restraints on the federal government that go way beyond a balanced budget amendment, you get that in Convention of States. You want to get rid of the Department of Education, the Department of Energy, you want to have a legitimate discussion about repealing the 17th Amendment, repealing the 16th, getting rid of the IRS. Only Convention of States gives you the opportunity to discuss those things. You have the right and the obligation to have that discussion for the American people. Are you guys with me? You know, history makes the person. Ken said we live in amazing times. We're privileged to live in times like this. And I agree with that. I had no intention ever of being involved in politics. I always watched them kind of like a spectator sport. I love politics. You know, I had my team and conservatives were my guys and Ronald Reagan was the first guy I ever got to cast a vote for. It was incredible. It was 18 in his first election. And so I always watched it and followed it and loved it. I never expected to be in it. I never wanted to be in it. I still say I don't really like politics as far as being engaged in it. All the backroom dealing that goes on and kind of the backstabbing and stuff like happened to Ken in the legislature where at the last minute four or five people turn on you. I can honestly say in the last year traveling around state legislatures, I've been lied more times to my face than any time in my entire life. I mean, I apologize, not, not, not any of you guys, obviously, 
for the people looking in the eye, oh, I love what you're doing and I'm totally in support. And then the, you look at the votes, you're like, wait, that was, they, you know, I used to think if they said they were going to vote for you, they were going to vote for you. Silly me. So I don't like being out there in politics, but history makes the person and history impinged on my life. And I ended up getting involved in the Tea Party. I ended up leading the largest Tea Party organization in the nation and doing all this TV and all this crazy stuff. And then people started saying to me, what do we do? 2010 was passed. We'd elected a new majority in Congress. It was really exciting and nothing changed. And over and over and over, it's like a nightmare refrain in my head. Mark, what do we do? What can we actually do? Electing people is not enough. What do we do? You know, we had uh, Governor Huckabee here. I love Governor Huckabee, obviously a supporter of the Convention of States Project. We had Scott Walker here. There's a lot of good governors in support. Governor Jindal, presidential candidate, direct endorser of Convention of State Project. Mark Levin endorses, Hannity, Glenn Beck, all these guys say Convention of State's the only project big enough, the only idea big enough to save the nation right now. All this stuff happens and, and yet people keep asking me, what do we do? And that's how Convention of States came to be because it's something to do. It's an actual plan. Rita said, for so long we fight back against the things that are done to us. For so long we object when our rights are taken away. We file a lawsuit, we vote one guy in, one guy out. Over and over. You know, the president's going to get elected no matter what we do. There's going to be a new president in 2016. I hope it's a good president. I hope it's a conservative president. I hope it's an ALEC-oriented president. And despite all those hopes, I am absolutely certain that the president is not going to shrink Washington, D.C. on his or her watch. Does anybody believe that Washington, D.C. is going to shrink substantially? They're going to give you your rights back? Do you believe they're just going to voluntarily relinquish that power? Yeah, you know, I've never been in a room anywhere in America where anybody believes that. So and if that's the case, if we're all in agreement, which we are, that they're not going to give us our power back, the only thing we can do is take it back. And you were put in this position at this time in American history, in your seat, in that legislature, specifically to take the power back for the people in your states. Are you with me? So I want to close with this, that website's for you, Convention of States is for you, we're here to support you, to elevate you, we just need you to stand. That's your job. I need you, if those cards are on your desk, really important to us, you fill those cards out, that gets you into the caucus, it'll get you access into the website, you guys go there, get signed up, and we know who's in, and our job is to network you guys, we're not going to tell you what to do, we're not controlling anything. We want you guys to be able to communicate freely. You know, there were some other groups that controlled email lists. They wouldn't let you communicate. We want you to communicate freely, support each other, have support from us. Our job is to be here to support you. So thank you very much for being here tonight. I appreciate it. Today, I appreciate it. Check out more content at conventionofstates.com slash pod. Thank you for listening.